0: The uh, committee who uh, put together plans for the summer, they wanted uh, we elders, or you, to have the opportunity to hear your elders, to get to know them better, and to hear from their heart. And so uh, tonight, some of you uh, may not know me at all. Some of you have known me a long time. Some of you know me a little bit. So I want to share with you a little bit of history of how I came to be here tonight. (laughs) Uh, When I was 10 years old, my parents made a decision to obey the gospel. They were about 40 years old. They came, visited Lamar Avenue, and they made that decision. And so my spiritual formation began in this church at the age of 10. I'm greatly indebted to this church teachers, ministers, elders. I love this church. I was baptized by Elmer Elroy when I was 15. I began to date an elder's daughter when I was 17, and I married that girl when I was on my 21st birthday right down there in 1966 right after this building was completed we made our commitment to one another and we walked out the door we cleaved to one another we left father and mother and cleaved to one another Uh, and here we are september 2nd on my 21st birthday it'll be 48 years and so, as I said, we left and uh, we made a big circle. And we came back 34 years later. Some of our stops along the way had a great influence on our lives, on me particularly uh, from a leadership standpoint. We, uh, we finished our education at A&M. Connell was... The only woman in a lot of her classes then, by the way. She had been going to Texas, and we married. She transferred over to A&M, and we graduated together. We attended the Cabot Street Church in Bryan. Uh, Louie and Marilyn. Marilyn's here, so she remembers the Cabot Street Church. I believe Louie was baptized there by Roy Singersall. So... uh, we graduated and we continued to work there for a while. I joined the Army. Connell went to Bowles Children's Home and was a house parent for 12 little girls for a while while I was in basic training. And I went to Officer Candidate School at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, and we were identified with the Alexandria Church in Alexandria, Virginia. When I got my commission, I volunteered indefinite. We went, moved to Fort Worth, worked with the Corps of Engineers. We worshiped with the Ridgely West Church out on the Weatherford traffic circle, it's, uh, they merged later with the uh, two other congregations and formed the West Freeway Church. Uh, from there, uh, I completed uh, my army, went to Vietnam, came back, and I was moved to Terrell, where I was, had been on military furlough from my job. And so we worked with the Rockwall and Bren Church in, Rock, in, in uh, Terrell. From there, we went to Brownfield out in West Texas, worked with the uh, Crescent Hill Church there, back to Fort Worth to Ridgely West, where we uh, were house parents in their children's home for a while, until I was transferred to Temple in the state office, and we worked then with the Belton Church. Uh, We were there eight years. I served five of that as a deacon, and then we made the big move. Across the, Missis- across the river, <laughs> the big river, <laughs> to Mississippi. And we were there 16 years. Uh, we uh, worked with Skyway Hills Church in Pearl, which is a suburb of Jackson. And uh, I served that congregation for nine and a half years as an elder. And then we moved, moved back home. And we moved to back on the Peace Ranch which uh, now has been in the Peace family for 95 years. Uh, And so it's good to be back home. I love this church. I'm greatly indebted to it. So that's a little bit about uh, Cannell and I's life up to this point. I began serving as one of your shepherds here in 2003 at the advent of the first... Affirmation, reaffirmation process. I want to begin this evening in Matthew 15. Uh, I guess if there were a title to this, it would be The Tradition of the Elders. Beginning in verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Well, what's going on here? Was it a mosaic law God command for uh, God's people to wash their hands before they ate? There's a whole lot of cleanliness laws, purification laws, But was there one to wash your hands before you ate? Sounds like a good idea. We do that. It was not. So what had these Jewish leaders done? They'd made this this tradition, you wash your hands before you eat, and and elevated it to like it was a command from God. If they observed someone preparing to eat and didn't wash their hands, they'd be, uh, uh, they violated The law in essence. As was common for Jesus when when he was confronted with an effort by the leaders, these Jewish leaders, to discredit him, he would respond in kind with his own question. So let's see what he did. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his his, uh, father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. So, what's this about? Well, if if someone committed something to the Lord or devoted it to him, uh, Mark, uh, the, the Gospel of Mark's account calls it, it's carbon. It was called carbon, something devoted to God. So, if you devoted something to God, and then your mother and father were in desperate need, You'd say, sorry, Mother and Father, I can't help you. I've devoted these means to God. That would be like today. We, most of us, purpose in our heart to give at the first day, at the first of the year. Uh, Connell and I have been members of three congregations who use purpose cards. And they were used very successfully. High degree of participation in it as a voluntary thing. But most of us, Purpose. Uh, A lot of us who are on fixed incomes uh, know what we're going to receive when we purpose to give back to God a portion. And that would be like my 94-year-old mother, who, by the way, is the oldest member of this congregation. She's four days older than Naomi Bassett. So those are our two oldest uh, members. That would be like my mother becoming destitute and needing help And I'd say, sorry mom, I can't help you because I've purposed in my heart to give to God this that I could maybe help you with, but I can't because I've purposed it to God. Do you think God is pleased with that? There's the same command in, in the New Testament law to take care of your aged parents. Honor your father and mother. These Jewish leaders had elevated a tradition above God's command to honor your father and mother. And certainly, God understands our circumstances and that they change. And if my mother's in need, he understands that I need to help her and he wants me to help her and I will help her. So, here we have traditions of the elders and they were bound on the people by these leaders. Are there traditions of the elders today in the church? Certainly, lots of traditions. I'm going to talk about just one. Years ago, before the Industrial Age, on the first day of the week, the saints would come together to worship, and they would arrive on horseback and buggies, horse-drawn buggies, mules maybe pulling wagons or even walking. And they they would probably worship late in the morning. And uh, frequently they would stay and have dinner on the grounds, fellowship with one another, and then they'd go home. As the Industrial Age came about, and transportation... Uh, became more readily available, more efficient. Electricity was, uh, uh, was there so we could have lighting. Uh, a lot of factories and people had to work in those even on Sunday. So the elders thought it would be good for the church as a whole to meet on Sunday evenings. It would be an opportunity for those who had to work in the factory that day on Sunday, to commune and fellowship and worship God. And so a tradition was put in place. Numbers of churches began to do that. And soon it became a tradition in the, in the whole brotherhood to do that. Time passes by. We get up to a modern days, modern times. And... Uh, Elders begin to say, well, attendance is slipping on Sunday night. Now, I said it was a tradition. Uh, does, God's, does the New Testament say, thou shalt assemble twice on Sunday? No, it doesn't. So, it was a tradition to do that. <clears throat> So attendance begins to slip on Sunday night. And so elders begin to think about, well, what, what can we do to help uh, increase our attendance? At the same time, help people get to know one another better, love one another more, uh, invite visitors, and so forth. And so life groups were looked at. And it was decided by the elders of this church in 2001, probably began talking about it in 2000, we'll have life groups. And, and hopefully that will, will help a lot of things, the church as a whole. And so <clears throat> they were implemented. Uh, I was asked to be a co-leader uh, at the onset And before uh, we actually began, the leader uh, uh, had to leave, and so I became a leader, and have ever since led a life group. The people that I know best in this church are members of my life group, and I've had several of you uh, come through my life group others that I know best are the ones in my Sunday morning Bible class. But life groups. From the onset, some didn't like life groups. We don't need life groups. grumbled about it and so forth. We still had an assembly here available on Sunday night. And even 14 years later, we still have some who dislike life groups. What a shame. It's done a lot of good. It's done a lot of good. We have more attendance when we have life group night than we do uh, on a regular meeting time here. Now, it's not just common to this church. If you have read the Christian Chronicle, this latest, which is which is July, it's, we're still in June, but this is the July 2014 edition under Voices. How do you spend your Sunday nights? So several congregations responded. I'll read some of them. This is from Ontario, Canada. We still meet on Sunday night with a few faithful saints to study a book or subject. It's been truly rewarding since we feel no need to replicate the morning's hours activities. We're presently in an interesting study of Hebrews, about 18 attend, from Palmer, Alaska. We have about 250 members in our congregation. After morning service, we have potluck every week, then Bible class. In the evening, we have small groups. From Fayetteville, Arkansas. We have a wonderful combination that works for our congregation of about 600. We have small groups that meet mostly on Sunday night in homes. We have had great participation in this. We study and eat. Some do projects to help others during this time when needed. Then we have what we call the super group of about 75 that meets every Sunday evening at the church building for their Bible study. It is less formal than Sunday morning worship and not headed by the preacher, but by some of the elders. This gives one a chance to meet at the building and take communion if they so desire. Another from Arkansas. We eliminated Bible classes on Sunday night. We did begin frequent evening meals after 5 p.m. services to encourage fellowship. We mix up the agenda on Sunday evenings. We have a service concert concentrated on singing to enjoy the old favorites and introduce new songs. We, we have prayer services where several of the men are assigned to come forward to pray for different areas of concern. And finally, Sandpoint, Idaho. We have about 55 on Sunday mornings and about 12 of us on Sunday evenings. We meet again at 2 p.m. because some of us drive up to 40 minutes and it's easier in the winter. I enjoy the church family and look forward to spending the whole day together. Now, it's pretty obvious here that this tradition on meeting on Sunday evening that tradition has been modified a change has been made in a lot of congregations hopefully a decision by elders to make it better for the betterment of the whole change is kind of upsetting sometimes and when we when we're talking about a tradition some have a mindset that it's a command from God. Thou shalt meet on Sunday night. No exceptions. But it is a tradition. And elders have to consider uh, traditions from time to time. Uh, traditions can outlive their usefulness. There, there, there needs to be change. <clears throat> and so elders try to do what is best for the overall good of the congregation. A few weeks ago, we made a decision. It was announced uh, a month before it was implemented to mic some singers. We felt that it would be good for the congregation for some to hear their voice whether they were alto, soprano, tenor, bass, would help them sing better, that our overall praise to God would be enhanced, made better. And so we implemented it about a month later. And yes, there were objections. Some who didn't like it, for various reasons. We had said, the elders have looked at it, And we see nothing biblically wrong to do this. Well, you're just catering to a few. You're just putting a mic in the hands of some that want to show their talent and show out. And lo and behold, some, well, this is just another step toward using instruments. No, no, no. We made a decision to help our worship, our worshiping and praising God. That was the only reason for it. want to go to Romans now. Romans 14. Romans 14 uh, concerns the weak and the strong eating of meat. And Paul addressed this. Basically, he said, uh, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with eating meat. And if you're a strong individual uh, and you're going to eat meat, Fine, but there are weak individuals who think eating of meat is, uh, is sinful, violates their conscience. So that would be the weak brother. Don't eat meat if it would cause your weaker brother to stumble. Stumble means to violate your conscience uh, and, in effect, sin. So he said, don't do it. But we notice as he concludes uh, this chapter, there's a couple of uh, verses here that uh, I would call them guiding principles. Let's look at verse 22 first. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't express your opinion, have an opinion and express your opinion. Certainly, you can. It's all a matter, though, of how you do it and the attitude with which you do it and the impact that it can have. Now, he says whatever you believe about these things, the guiding principle could be whatever you think about life groups, whatever you think about Mike Singers, whatever you think about how communion is served, whatever you think about Bible classes, all these traditions that we have, keep them between you and God. Now look up at, at uh, verse 19, Kind another concluding guiding principle. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. How well are we at that? Let us make Every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. These are strong these are two strong guiding principles in my mind here from the Apostle Paul. Inspired words that God wants us to live by. One concluding scripture in Hebrews. This is a scripture that unless you are doing a textual study in Hebrews, you might not uh, speak of it. I don't hear it very often. Or or, or if you're doing a study on the eldership, it would be addressed. And we elders have referred to it uh, here more recently. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, As an individual elder, I don't have any authority. I have absolutely no authority. That word leader is leaders plural. So who does have authority? The eldership has authority. Now, certainly, in complying with this, this is a command. In complying with this, if your elders are not following uh, Jesus, the ultimate authority, or the elders are lording it over you, are you going to be reluctant to comply with that? Probably so. And that eldership is not going to last very long if they do that. Submission is throughout Scripture. We are to submit to one another. Wives and husbands are to submit to one another and on and on. (laughs) The next aspect of that verse is rather scary to me. And probably a lot of men who were otherwise qualified to serve as shepherds in the Lord's church Might be reluctant to do so. Their desire, which is a quality or part of God's specification, they may look at that verse, that portion of that verse, and say, I don't think I want to serve. It is an awesome responsibility. We have watch over you, we have watch for your soul, and we're going to be held accountable for it we're going to be held accountable for the decisions that are made here. We don't take our decision-making lightly. It's a serious matter. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Sometimes it's not real joyous to be truthful about it. There's been times when, and, and all of us elders, I can speak for all of us, we had an elders' meeting scheduled and we know what we're going to have to talk about. And to you, to coin a word that, that uh, Patrick often uh, reminds me that I said, sometimes when the reports are made, the shepherding reports, we had one that was just... Uh, I called it (laughs) unencouraging. And so he reminds me of that word every once in a while. But I have to say though, it's a privilege to serve and most of the time it is a joy. But there are times when our hearts are heavy about matters. When we consider decisions Part of that is, is the church ready for this at this time? Well, we talk about Mike Singers. Six years ago, we said the church wasn't ready for it, so we didn't do it. And some of those who uh, desired it at the time, they accepted that decision. They didn't grumble and fuss about it. And so five or six years later, we believed it was, it was time. And so we made that decision. Sometimes we're hampered in our decision making because, I hate to use the word fearful, but we know that there's some who aren't going to like it. Who aren't going to like it. And, and they and tend to be the ones who are the most vocal sometimes. So, so we put off making a decision that would be good for the church as a whole. I hope we're able to do less and less of that kind of decision making. But I want to conclude, conclude tonight by uh, I know... Most of you are probably wondering where we are in the vision process. Uh, this this began with our meeting with some consultants a year ago, the elders did. And about November we had advanced to the point where a, a vision committee uh, was put together uh, to work on a vision. And they completed their work. Three core value. Three core values that represent our vision and then from that committee a subcommittee uh, uh, was put forth to work on strategies that would be in concert with those three core values our vision and so they completed that put it in our hands and we had some concerns about some so We asked them to go back and take another look and do some further tweaking. We had anticipated that we would be able to cast the vision. That's the expression we're using. Uh, About the time school was out, but it looks like it'll probably be about the time school starts again uh, is our hope now. So we just ask you to be patient about this. And when the vision is cast, we hope and pray that you can be excited about it as we look down the road to what we want to what we want God for what uh, we envision God wanting us to look like 10 years from now we I think we're going to have to call it 2024 now uh, instead of 2023 if it's a 10 year vision but we hope that you can receive it enthusiastically uh and be prepared to uh commit yourselves to uh uh, working on that vision in various ways uh a whole lot of it's going to depend on the elders minding the store and 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 communicating and uh and and keeping it moving forward and we committed to do that before the process as the process started back a year ago why did we do that well we saw Some things weren't happening. We weren't growing. Uh, We weren't baptizing. Very many people. You know, and I can name several things. So something, it seems, had to change. Now, we could keep doing the same things we're doing and try to do them better. But it may may mean that, uh, you know, we looked at demographics. How's our community changing and so forth? There was a lot of things that were looked at that kind of dictated uh, how we needed to approach this, and so I would encourage you to look forward to the vision being cast and and eagerly participating in it. Yes, there will be some change, but there doesn't have to be controversy. Uh, And I hope there's not. Perhaps the biggest change will be uh, related to our attitudes. Our attitudes. And so I'm going to close now. Uh, Patrick will sing a song and then Cliff Kirby will, will dismiss us. first to say that because I'm in front of the mic, but we appreciate your heart and the words that you've shared tonight. and uh, church as you heard, he, he put it on the line. and he said things that were honest and things that um, our elders go through day by day. And uh, I pray tonight, if nothing else, I pray that we can resolve, number one, to love God more, to love our leaders more, And as that passage in Hebrews reminds us, pray that their work will be a joy. And that starts by our attitude and our hearts to these men. And so I challenge you with that as we close.